In the early 1800s, a young man by the name of John Chapman worked in a Western Pennsylvania cider mill. And it was at a time when Pennsylvania was considered the far west. It was on the edge of the west as our nation had just begun its westward movement. And many thought that going west was just way too dangerous and the land was too rugged and wild to ever be settled. But it was while he was working at this cider mill that John Chapman got a vision that grabbed his very soul and never let go of him for the rest of his life. You see, every day at the mill, Chapman had to throw out piles and piles of apple seeds left over after the pressing process. And these seeds that seemed useless to everyone else planted the seed of a great vision in John Chapman's mind. And so after extensive planning, Chapman filled large bags with apple seeds. He quit his job and he headed west, planting apple trees all along the way. As young families moved westward, Chapman knew that there would be little available to them to eat on their journey. So along the trails, where future farms would one day exist, this visionary planted seeds that would become complete orchards. He planted not for himself, but for the future pioneers who would follow, that they would find fruit waiting for them. Now he faced so many hardships, with the weather and the terrain, and he didn't have many supplies, but um, the Native American tribes welcomed him in, helped him along the way, and he was a man of deep faith in Jesus Christ. Wherever he planted seeds in the ground, he would plant spiritual seeds in the hearts of men and women. Now, some said he was insane, but the world always labels people who plant for the future crazy. He didn't get everything right, that's for sure. He planted dog fennel because he thought it had medicinal properties. It turned out to be an invasive weed he planted all through the West. So he didn't get everything right. But many say he was a pivotal personality in early Western history like Daniel Boone and Kit Carson who paved the way westward. And today there's a small monument at the gravesite in America's heartland. It's raised in Chapman's honor in a little park in Indiana. And when you look for it, you'll find it under another name, the name affectionately given to him over 200 years ago by the settlers whose lives were made easier by his vision. And you know the name Johnny Appleseed. And Johnny Appleseed's story grips me because not many people are able to see the power in a seed. And not many people are able to see the exponential power in planting a seed. It's said that you can count the number of seeds in one apple, but you can't count the number of apples in just one seed. It always amazes me that a small seed can grow into a huge fruit-bearing tree that can last for generations to come. And God wants you to live your life in such a way that it impacts generations to come, that it's fruitful and productive for generations to come. But it all comes down to understanding the power of one seed. I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew because we're gonna look at Jesus' parable of the sower and the power of a seed. And would you stand in honor of God's word and just follow along with me. And I wanna welcome all you guys worshiping with us at our satellite campuses, Woodland Church at Tascacita, Woodland Church North Point, the Woodlands Campus, and everyone worshiping with us online or through our broadcast ministry, and I know there are thousands of you doing that and connecting with us. We're staying connected, staying connected to the Lord and to each other, and that's what's important. So follow along. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Dear Lord, we know that you want us to live a life that's fruitful and productive that's fruitful and productive and makes an impact 
for generations to come. Lord, you want us to live our lives in such a way that they outlast us. And Lord, I know that it all comes down to this secret, the power in a seed. So help us to understand this and to put it into our lives so that we can be fruitful, Lord, and productive, and that we can produce 30, 60, 100-fold more than anything that we ever plant. And Lord, I thank you that you know right where everyone's at, what everyone is going through, and there's so many, Lord, who are going through some of the most difficult times of their lives, some going through just incomprehensible loss and pain, and I I just pray for your comfort and for your strength, and Lord, we pray for your blessing today, that you would speak to us right where we're at, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Now, this parable is all about faith, because the farmer has faith in the seed. The farmer has faith that when he plants a kernel of corn, there's potential in that seed to grow a stalk of corn, to produce bushels of corn. And so really this is all about planting a seed of faith. Now in this parable, the farmer represents God who's always sowing, always planting into our lives a word of faith, always planting blessings into our lives. But I wanna flip this parable around today and look at it from a different perspective and ask, what are you planting? What am I planting? What are you planting with your life? You see, every day, every moment, with every action, I'm planting something with my life. So the question is, what am I planting? What are you planting? Now, I've got some apple seeds up here, but you can't really see them. I was gonna show them to you. I checked it out and said, look at it closely. You can't even hardly see them. And and so I'm not gonna hold them out and try to show them to you because they're so small. But I know if I plant those apple seeds into the ground, they're going to grow. Take some time, but they'll grow. How do I know that? Because there's life in the seeds. Now I've got some other seeds that you can see. These seeds right here. I don't know if you've ever seen any seeds like this. If you've ever had landscaping done in your yard, you have, they're called rocks. Now we're going, what kind of seed is that? Wow. It's a rock like you were thinking it was. It's a rock. And you see, those rocks that you can see, if I plant them in the ground in really good soil and I cultivate it, and I water it, and I take care of it, and I put fertilizer on it, they're not going to grow. Why? There's no life in those rocks. And unfortunately, some of you are planting rocks with your life. You're planting rocks with your life because what you're planting has no life in it. And so you're planting, you're doing some good things, some okay things, but there's nothing with real life in it and it's not going to last. I have up here a big rock. And some of you are planting boulders with your life. I mean, you're planting huge rocks with your life. And people look at you from the outside and they're really impressed because they see big things. You're planting big boulders and everyone can see it from the outside and You're planting big things, a big bank account, a big investment portfolio, a big reputation, a big business, big goals, big dreams, big achievements, big things. And from the outside, it looks really impressive. But if I take this rock and I plant it in the ground, we'll never see it again because there's no life in it. It doesn't matter how big the rock is. It doesn't matter how small the seed is. There's life in the seed. There's no life in the rock. And if I plant this rock in the ground, it doesn't matter how big it is, we'll never see it again. And it doesn't matter how big your bank account is. It doesn't matter how big your plans are. If all you're doing is accumulating things and impressing people, the moment they bury you in the ground, your impact is over. It's done. It's game over. 
it's not gonna last because there's no life in what you're planting. And so I wanna ask myself, how do I know if what I'm planting with my one and only life has life in it? How do I know? Well, if I'm planting an unselfish seed, there's life in it. If I'm planting a selfish seed, there's no life in it. If I'm planting an unselfish seed that makes a difference in the lives of others, then there's life in it. No matter how small it is, it can grow. But it doesn't matter how big it is if I'm planting boulders. Once I plant them and once they plant me in the ground, it's over. There's no impact. My life will not outlast me on this earth for generations to come with an impact and I'll make no eternal difference. And so, how do I know if what I'm planting has life in it? I've gotta ask myself, is this a selfish seed or an unselfish seed? Jesus put it this way in John 12, 24. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So Jesus said the seed has to go into the ground and there in the silence of the earth, all alone, it dies. And then it opens up and brings forth life. And I have to die to my selfishness. I have to die to my selfish wants and my selfish goals, my selfish dreams. And I have to die to myself and give up to God and what he wants from me because he knows what's best for me. And when I die to myself, move out of my comfort zone and follow him and make a difference in the lives of others, then I'm doing something that's gonna outlast me. Then I'm planting seeds that have life in them and potential in them for God to use. And folks, really there's only two things that last forever. God's word, the Bible says the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. So anytime you spend time in God's word and putting it into your life and living it out, that's gonna last forever. That has eternal ramifications. That's eternal, God's word and then the souls of people. So anytime you plant an unselfish seed in the life of someone else, anytime you do anything to bring someone to heaven, anytime you do anything to bring someone into the family of God, that's gonna last for all eternity. That's what it's all about. Anytime you step out of your comfort zone and unselfishly plant a little seed into someone else's life, that's gonna last. Brennan Manning in his book, The Furious Longings of God, tells the true story of what Larry Mullaney got for Christmas one year. Brennan Manning says that he was teaching at a university in Ohio when he met a student on campus by the name of Larry Mullaney. And he said by the world's standards, he was ugly. He, he was short, extremely obese, had a terrible case of acne, had a lisp. Uh, he wore the same old T-shirt every single day and he smelled like he hadn't taken a shower in about a year. And he said after the first class that he taught with Larry Mullaney in it, Larry Mullaney came into his office right after class and just announced, I'm an agnostic. I want you to know that. And Brendan Manning said, okay, it's good to know. And he said, well, I know you're a Christian. I'm an agnostic. Just want you to know. Okay, thanks for telling me that. And he said, that Christmas break, Larry Mullaney found himself back home, back home in Providence, Rhode Island with his parents. And his dad was this really formal Irishman who never really gave out compliments, didn't really show affection very much. And so sitting around the dinner table every night during Christmas break, it was just Larry, his mom and his dad. And it seemed like every dinner, they would get into an argument. Larry and his dad would somehow get into some little argument and, and go round and round about it. And on the last night of Christmas break, Larry announced, I'm going back to the university tomorrow. Just want you to know, I go back tomorrow. And his dad asked, well, can I walk you to the bus station? And Larry said, sure. So the next day, they walked to the bus stop to get the bus to go onto the station that would get Larry a bus onto his school, but at the bus stop, there were six men directly across the street from the bus stop who worked with Larry's father at the textile mill. 
And one of them began to say, oink, oink. You know, if that were my son, I'd make him sleep in the barn. Another one said, if my son was a slob like that, I'd kick him out of the house so fast his head would spin. And they began to taunt Larry Mullaney. And Larry would later say, at that moment, for the first time in my life, my dad reached out and he embraced me and he kissed me. And then he looked me in the eye and he said, Larry, if your mom and I live to be 200 years old, we could never thank God enough for the gift that he gave us in you. I'm so proud of you, son. Larry got on that bus and went back to school that semester, but Brennan Manning said, Words can't even describe the drastic change that took place in Larry that semester. He cleaned up. He, he became outgoing, and he made friends. He had no friends. He just was all alone all the time. He actually got a girlfriend, which surprised everyone. And then his academic life, he was always brilliant, and he just shined that semester even more than ever. He ended up graduating with the best grade point average over 4.0 of anyone in the history of the university. And during that semester, Larry Mullaney came into Brendan Manning's office and he said, tell me about Jesus. I want to know about Jesus. And then every day for six weeks after class, he would come in and sit in his office and they would talk about Jesus. And Brendan Manning would share with him the gospel and the love of Christ. And at the end of that time, he prayed to receive Christ. And for the last 20 years, Larry Mullaney has been a missionary in South America. And Brennan Manning would say, I think it's no exaggeration to say that his formal Irish father healed him that day. Yes, God used it. Yes, God saved him. Yes, God called him. But something happened when that formal Irish father stepped out of his comfort zone he died to himself and what was natural and comfortable for him stepped out in that awkward moment. He stepped out and he embraced Larry for those few seconds and he looked in his eyes and saw value and worth that Larry couldn't see in himself and he spoke an unselfish seed of affirmation that changed the whole course of Larry's life. That's the power of one seed. That's the power of one seed of affirmation. You don't realize the power you have to plant an unselfish seed because those seeds have life in them. But you gotta move out of your comfort zone. You gotta die to yourself. You gotta focus on God and on others. It can't be about you. It's gotta be about the Lord and others. And that unselfish seed has the power to change lives. The second question I wanna ask is, where are you planting? A seed can have life, but if I plant in bad soil, then it's not going to grow. It's not gonna produce any fruit, and God wants you to be fruitful and productive in your life. And in this parable, we see several types of people that are represented by the soil. The first is what I call the calloused life. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 19, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So this is the picture of someone who's not interested in spiritual things. Their heart is calloused toward God. They're just living for themselves. They're just living for the here and the now. And the imprint of their life will be like a footprint on a sandy beach just before the tide comes in. Here today, gone tomorrow. This is the picture of someone who's not doing anything with their life that's gonna make an eternal difference. This is the picture of someone who's just not interested in spiritual things. It's all about here, it's all about now, and that's not very wise. But then there's what I call the comfortable life. Jesus said in verse 20, the one who received the seed that fell on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Now this is someone who is committed to Christ. They made a commitment to Jesus Christ, but they're not growing their roots deep. And so when problems come and it gets a little uncomfortable, they give up. They shrink back into their comfort zone, which is really the death zone for a Christ follower. But then we see the crowded life. This is where the seed grows up, but the thorns and the weeds 
choke it. In verse 22, it says, the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the seedfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. So this is the picture of a Christian whose life is just overcrowded with things that won't last. All they see is their temporary worries. All they see is these physical problems that are here on earth, but they don't see anything eternal and they don't get outside of themselves. And so just the financial worries, the worries of the world, just all the worries and the things that they're going through just consume them. And so everything begins to choke out the joy and the eternal fruitfulness that they could have. And they just sow selfish seeds. I think that we fall into that category many times because we just get focused on the problems we have here and now. It's just so easy, you know, when I'm going through a problem and a difficulty, when stress comes and you start worrying about what is tomorrow gonna bring and, and you start fearing the future and you start trying to control everything and, and the weeds and the thorns start choking out your joy. The worries of life start choking out the fruitfulness that you could have in your life. And so I wanna give you a little illustration here that'll help you kind of put things in perspective because when we're going through problems and difficulties and stresses, we get real inward. And that's just human nature. And it's so important to remember the bigger picture at all times. And so let me give you a little bigger picture here. I've got some orbs up here that represent Let's just say they represent all the people on the planet today, like, what is it, like almost eight billion people on the planet today. And they're actually 100 orbs. So that represents 100% of the people, you don't have to count them, trust me, they're 100. Some of you have already started counting. But just say they represent 100% of the population on our planet. Did you know that 9.2% of the world's population today lives on less than $1.90 a day? That's 9.2% live on less than $1.90 a day, and most of them way less. Did you know that 26% of the world's population lives on less than $3 per day? $3 per day. And did you know that almost half of the population in the world today, 46%, live on less than $5.50 a day. And that's making $2,007.50 a year annual income. Did you know that 71% of the world's population lives on less than $10 a day? And did you know that 84% of the world's population lives on less than $20 a day? So that's 84% of the world's population lives on less than $7,300 annually. So if you make more than $7,300 annually, then you're in the top 16% of the world. That's just truth. But then 7% of the world's population lives on what the Pew Research Institute calls the high income level of $50 or more a day. And so 7% of the world's population, just 7% of the world's population of the billions of people in the world live on $50 a day or more. That's $18,000 annually. And most of them are in America and in Europe. And so if you make more than $18,000 a year, then you are in the top 7% in wealth in the world today. And we just need some perspective sometimes. And, and of course, I know that many of you go on mission trips with us and, and you see the work that we do in Haiti in our farmers' field schools. And there's so many there that are living on a dollar a day. And our coffee ministry that we have, that we've revived coffee in the Marmalade region of Haiti, and it's just provided for so many families and made such an impact. And, and we've made such a difference in Kenya with our farmers' field schools, feeding 80,000 people on an annual basis, sustainable, scalable. It's just made such a difference. And 
in Honduras, all the ministries we're doing there and the disaster relief this year that sending thousands upon thousands of dollars to places like that to make a difference. We planted so many churches in India this year. I mean, it's like over 50 churches in India. And then we've been doing a human trafficking ministry of preventing human trafficking and teaching literacy in India to mothers who really want to start businesses and and get out of poverty. And it's just been amazing. And I could just go on and on at all the different countries that we're doing ministry and with millions of dollars are making a difference. And why do we do that? Because Jesus commands us to. Yes, we do so much in our area. We have so many people going through pain and hurt and financial difficulty. And we do so much with benevolence with our members who are going through difficulties financially right now. But we have to keep in mind the world. We have to keep in mind some perspective or or we get so inward that it's not healthy and we can't plant seeds that make an eternal difference. And too much is given, much is required. Jesus let us know, and in Galatians 6, 7, the scripture lets us know, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If you plant boulders, you're gonna get nothing. But when you plant life, you plant it into good soil, then you get a productive life and you get a life that makes an impact for generations. And that's the complete life, that's good soil. In Matthew 13, 23, Jesus said, but the one who received the seed that fell on the good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now this is the picture of a Christ follower planting an unselfish seed of faith, planting an unselfish seed of generosity in good soil and it produces a crop of 30, 60, 100 times what was planted. So what is good soil? This has been the secret to Chris and my life. This has been the secret to our lives, discovering what good soil is and planting in good soil. Planting seeds of life in good soil, that's been the secret to our life. What is good soil? Two things, first, Jesus Christ. A lot of people ask us, how can you guys have so much faith? We don't have much faith. We got a little bit of imperfect faith, but we've learned to place it all in a great God. We got a little bit of imperfect faith, but we place it all in a great and perfect God, in Jesus Christ. And so if you place the little bit of faith you have all in Christ, that's good soil. It's gonna produce 30, 60, 100 fold. And then the bride of Christ, the church. When you plant, when you plant one penny, of your resources, when you plant one second of your time in serving, you're planting in good soil and it will reap 30, 60, 100 fold because it's the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the church. This has been the secret to our lives, learning that when we plant in good soil a seed that's unselfish, it multiplies. It multiplies for eternity. And so I wanna ask you a third question. How much are you planting? You say, Carrie, that, that's, that's getting a little specific there. That's a little intrusive, that question. But God cares about that question for your sake. In Corinthians 9, verse 6, it says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now look at that, not under compulsion. And so you should never give because you're pressured to give. That's why we don't pressure anyone at Will and Church to give. Because if someone pressures you to give and it's a high pressure thing, then don't give because it won't count in heaven. So if someone comes to your door and, and bugs you and won't leave because they want you to give to something or someone calls you up and bugs you and tries to pressure you into giving, just tell them, Pastor Kerry told me that I'm not supposed to do that because it won't count in heaven because you're pressuring me and you can use my name. Feel free to. But you're not supposed to give reluctantly or under pressure. You're to give because you want to. Now, it doesn't mean you won't be afraid. Every time Chris and I step out in faith to give over and above our regular tithes, um, when God calls us to do that, it's always a little scary at first, but then it's just freeing and it's joyful and it's just open-handed and it changes everything 
But this is really the principle of the harvest that they're talking about here. The scripture tells us the principle of the harvest. What is it? Whatever you plant, you're going to harvest. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. That is, if I plant an apple seed, I'm not gonna grow an orange tree and get oranges. I'm gonna get apples. If you plant corn, you're gonna get corn, not beans. Whatever it is that you plant, you're going to harvest. If you plant criticism and judgment of others, then that's what you're gonna get back, criticism and judgment. If you plant negativity, you're gonna get back negativity. If you plant generosity, then you get back generosity. It's just a principle of life. Whatever you plant, you're going to harvest. But you don't just get back what you sow, you get back so much more than you sow. If I plant one apple seed, that tree doesn't eventually grow and it produces one apple. No, it produces bushels of apples. If I plant one apple seed, then I get bushels of apples, possibly for generations. The farmer knows this, so when he plants seven and a half pounds of corn, on average, he'll get back 20 bushels of corn. When the farmer plants a bushel of wheat, on average, he gets back 67 bushels of wheat because you always harvest more than you plant. And that's why the farmer doesn't hold on to his last bag of seed and say, this is my last bag of seed. I can't give this away to the soil because if I give it away to the soil, then I don't have anything. I can't afford to give this away to the soil. No, the farmer says, I gotta give this away to the soil because if I give this bag of seed to the soil and I plant it, this seed has life and potential and it will grow and I'll get back what I plant, but I'll get back so much more than I plant. So there's no reluctance to give the last bag of seed to the soil. And Jesus said it's the same way in life that when we learn that the secret of living is giving and we learn to give, we learn to let go and we learn to plant, we'll always get back so much more. Now it's later, but it will always happen. There'll be times of testing and then you move into the blessing. There'll be times of testing and then blessing, but I mean the farmer, I was teaching this principle in a little town outside of Lubbock, a farming community at a, at a church. And I'll never forget, I said, you know, farmer, you farmers don't, after you plant the seed, you don't go out the next day and dig up the seed to see if it's growing. I mean, you just, you wait. And about 15 people came up to me afterwards and goes, that's exactly what we do. We go out the next day and we dig it up a little bit. And I go, why? They go, it's no good reason. It's just that we're worried. And I go, wow, that is human nature, huh? Yeah, I said, does it help? No, not at all. But we just do it. And I thought, yeah, we do, don't we? That's what we want to do. We're plant a seed. God, you haven't come through in this second. God, no, but he always does. He always does. In Leviticus 27.30, it says, a tithe of everything you get from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. A tithe, now that just means 10%. And so God instituted this. It's all through scripture. Jesus affirmed it in the New Testament that we're supposed to give God the first 10% of all the seed produces. Now, that's our income. You know, the first income was all agricultural and you'd give back the first fruits, the first 10%, the best and the first. And, and then it was income and you give back the first 10% of all you make. Why? Because it's holy to God. And when you do that, then God gives back to you and he gets involved in your finances and he blesses and he strengthens you and he meets your needs, not your greeds, but he meets your needs and you see God work in the most important area. Well, next to your relationships. I mean, if God is not God in your relationships, first place in your relationships, first place in your finances, first place in your time, then is he first place? Because those are the areas that are most important to us. And so this is talking about the tithe. Now, sometimes when people say, well, I tithe, they don't really know what it means. It means the first 10%, and that's God's. So let me explain it this way. Let's just say that these 100 orbs are apples, that we've got 100 apples here, and these apples represent all of God's blessing and all the things that God gives you in your life, all that you make, all your income, because God gives you the ability to make money. God gives you your health. Uh, God can take it away instantly. God gives you your very breath your next heartbeat, the ability to work, all those things. And so let's say these 100 apples represent everything that you make. And God says, 
Give me the first 10 apples out of 100. It's mine. You can't touch those. Those are mine. They're holy to me. And they show that I'm first place in your life. See, I always wonder, why is it 10 apples and not 30 apples? Or why is it 10 apples and not two apples? I don't know why God chose 10, but he did. But I do know the purpose, and it's to teach me to put God first. And so it's, it's not giving him the last 10. This is real important. You give him the last 10. I mean, God blesses, but, but not the way he wants to in your life. It's always the first 10 because God always says, I want the first and the best, and then I'll bless the rest. Give me the first, I'll bless the rest. So God says, those 10 are mine. And then God says, I want you to enjoy the other 90. The first 10, though, are mine. Uh, but let's be real. Um, the other 90, I mean, you know, the government takes a chunk. You gotta pay your mortgage, that's important. You got the bills, and so that just, that takes a chunk right there, doesn't it? And if you don't give God the first 10, like some people say, you know, God, I know the first 10 is yours, but I'm gonna give you 10. You're gonna get that 10, I promise you, at the end of the month, you're gonna get the, we're gonna do that, we're gonna tithe. We're gonna tithe, but I gotta pay the mortgage, gotta pay the bills, you know, the government takes so much, all that, and, and then you got insurance, you got car payments, and so then some more goes away. You, you got things that start stacking up. You gotta eat, I mean, you gotta buy groceries and clothes and all that stuff. You, you, it's just essentials, and that takes more away. And then if you got kids, the kids are so expensive. There's lessons, they're you know, just every, there's sports, everything. It's just a racket people are running today, you know. Kids are just so expensive. One time, I was talking to a friend of mine who's very wealthy, and I said, what's the secret? You know, for, how'd you become so wealthy? What's your secret? I didn't have kids. And I go, oh, that's discouraging, you know. And I had four little ones at the time. That's discouraging. No hope for me, you know. So, yep, there's no hope for you. So, um, uh, but kids are expensive, and so then what happens? You're down to the last 10, but oh God, I intend to give you these last 10, but then, God, I didn't know I was gonna get a ticket last week in a school zone. You know, I forgot school zone, and you don't want me to go to jail, God. What a terrible testimony that would be. So I've gotta pay this ticket, Lord. And so, boom. I know that's part of yours, God, but I know we still got a lot of apples left. We're gonna give to you. Yeah, really, we're gonna do it. But, you know, we had to fix the AC unit. You know how it is in Houston. It can be January and you're burning up, you know? So we had to fix that, so that takes more out. And, and Lord, I know, but you got four. I got four out of the hundred left. That's a pretty good deal. I'll put that in the offering, Lord. I got four out of a hundred for you. Yeah, I mean, you don't really need 10 apples anyway, do you, God? I mean, I got four for you. At, oh, I didn't realize it, Lord. You know, the Netflix and the Amazon Prime and the Disney Plus bills. I mean, we've been, we've been just doing a lot on that during this pandemic. I mean, we had to have Disney Plus, Lord, or the kids would go crazy. And, you know, we would become atheists. So, you know, that's bad. I mean, that's just saving our Christianity right there, Disney Plus. And, and Lord, um, you know that we've been eating out a lot. <laughs> but we've been safe. We just order out. We pick it up. So, I know you're glad about that, so that's, that's a good thing. And, and, oh, Lord, my Starbucks. Well, you know I gotta have that because without caffeine, how can I make money for you, Lord? I mean, I gotta have my Starbucks. And, and then we're down to one apple. We're down to one apple out of 101%. And God says, the first 10 are mine, and we've already stolen nine of God's apples. And then we come down to it, and then we try to eat that apple. Something comes up, something we see we like. We order it online. And we come down to this. Someone said that's sad. It is sad, isn't it? That's sad. And, and then we give that to God and go, God, sorry, God. It's just, but I mean, some people don't even give you the apple core, God. Doing pretty good, aren't I? And then we feel good. And God says, I love you, but you've just stolen from me. And you wonder why. You wonder why you're empty on the inside. You wonder why you're not experiencing joy. You wonder why you're not seeing 
We take care of you in every situation. You see, giving is the acid test of our faith. The purpose is to teach us to put God first, not last, but first. I get so many emails and letters and hear from so many of you who have learned this principle of tithing over the years. That, you know, it's like people who like didn't even know, it's like I'm putting $10 you know, and giving $10 to God in the offering basket when we used to pass the offering basket and they take out five and make change in the offering plate and, and think I'm doing pretty good. And then they learn this principle and they step out in faith and do it and everything changes. And I hear this so often. I just recently got this email and they allowed me to share it with you. It's from Shane and Katarina in our church. Hi, my name is Katarina and my husband Shane and I've been attending Woodland Church for over seven years now. We moved to Texas from Southern Indiana and it took us a while to find a church home. But we're so thankful we found Woodland Church. We started to attend every weekend shortly after our first child, Emily, was born. I remember sitting in service in December of 2014, right before our second daughter, Molly, was born, and messages that month revolved around tithing. We gave every weekend, $20 here, $40 there, but nothing that was consistent, and I always felt like it was a huge sacrifice. I knew how tight finances were and how scary it was that my husband really wanted to tithe what seemed more and more every weekend. Skip forward a couple of weekends and we got to welcome Molly to the world and I remember making a New Year's resolution to grow in faith that year. I didn't wanna miss a single weekend. Well, the third weekend we missed, thanks to Miss Molly making her entrance that Sunday. The following weekend, I remember being excited to get back to church. Something in me had changed and I was making intentional efforts to grow closer to the Lord. That very week, I remember deciding that this was the year where we would take the tithe challenge. I had a it's now or never Lord mentality. And Shane agreed and we started that very weekend. God multiplies our gifts, right? Oh, does he ever. We stayed consistent with our giving and the Lord has provided in ways that we couldn't ever imagine. It seemed like every single time we needed to earn a little extra for things that came up, my husband was able to pick up an extra work trip or would earn a bit extra here and there that always added up. Shane worked for a regional airline during this time, and in April of 2019, he finally got on with the major airline of his dreams. He had made it. We were going to be okay financially. Now, by that point, we'd welcomed our third child, Maxwell, and had outgrown our little home and were able to purchase a bigger home. We gave all glory to God. We have been big believers in doors opening exactly when they're supposed to open. The process of getting into this new home was a test of our faith in itself, and just when I had really given it to the Lord, he provided and then March 2020 hit, hello COVID-19. Immediately the word furlough started crossing our minds. The airlines were hit hard. Since Shane was at the bottom of the seniority list, we were fully anticipating him to be furloughed. Unfortunately with the airlines, furloughs are a long-term solution. Everyone in our airline community was terrified, thinking about new careers, what each of us could do in order to provide once furloughed. Friends and family would ask how we felt about the possibility of getting furloughed. We were okay. Why? Because we know God will provide. The past tells me I can trust him with what comes next. So after all the rumors of furloughs on the horizon, Shane got the dreaded letter of official notice of furlough. He was supposed to be furloughed as soon as the CARES Act expired on October 1st. All of September seemed like a whirlwind. We were still not sure what Shane could do for income. He loved his job. It wasn't even really working for him. It, it was just wonderful. He loved it so much. It didn't feel like work. He couldn't imagine doing anything else with his life. It would definitely be work to find something else. I couldn't explain the calm that I felt until someone pointed out, it's the Holy Spirit, and that's what it was. Now fast forward to today, and Shane is still not furloughed. Praise the Lord, his airline and the union who represents him were able to come to an agreement where he is safe from furlough until at least June. That came with a price though, 50% pay to be exact. I still have this sense of calm. God is so good. And while I know it will be tight and I know that we will have to make sacrifices to be able to not be in financial trouble, I also know that our most important financial decision still is to tithe. We can't afford not to. I cannot imagine not having put God first in our finances years ago. We haven't looked back. It's part of our budget, it's part of our story, it's just what we do. We can't afford not to. Who knows where we would be if we wouldn't have made that decision years ago. We constantly share our story with others and this year my resolution was to step out of my comfort zone in all aspects of my life and sharing this testimony is out of my comfort zone. 
but it has been on my heart to share for some time now. And Katerina didn't know when she wrote this that it would be read to thousands at church too. So thank you, Katerina and Shane. And what a powerful testimony. Knowing that God works in an area that you care about, that you depend on, knowing that God is at work in that area gives you all the peace in the world. And there will be times when you go through testing. There will be times of difficulty, but God promises you in his word, he will provide. He will meet your needs according to his riches and glory. And what a wonderful time right now to be able to experience what Shane and Katerina experienced that December years ago, to learn how to put God first in your finances. Because we're doing this thing that we do every December, our Give Your Greatest Gift to Christ offering, and it's an opportunity for those of us who love Woodland Church to put God first at Christmas, to give over and above our regular tithes and offerings. So if you're a first-time guest, you can just tune me out. This is something we do that we love to do, that we look forward to doing, that has changed thousands of lives. What it is is our Give Your Greatest Gift to Christ Christmas offering, and, and today's the offering. This is the weekend that we give our offering. And I just wanna go through it real quickly with you before we take our offering. And by the way, you can go to our Woodland Church app on your phone right now, and you can click on Give Your Greatest Gift, and it'll take you through this. You can do it right now, or, or you can just go to wc.org and do it, and go through that right now on your smartphone. I really encourage you to take it out, but I want you to see the impact that you've made this year. In the Gospel of Hope, 1,328,240 visitors have worshiped with us, unique visitors to Willen Church Online Campus. 6,208 of them have prayed to receive Christ and let us know that they prayed to receive Christ in their life. 4.5 million people watch Woodland Church around the world on our broadcast ministry. And this year, to the poor and powerless in our area, we provided 10,000 meals to frontline medical workers. 4,000 lives were saved through our campus blood drives. 150,000 acts of love and kindness in the Houston area, mostly giving out boxes of food and making such a difference in under-resourced areas. And then benevolence with our members who are going through financial difficulties. 64,695 children grew in Christ through our in-person and online WC Kids Ministry, and we trained 50 future pastors and ministry leaders through Woodland Seminary this year. And then our global outreach, we continue to give millions of dollars to our missions around the world, supporting our global missions partners, bringing food resources, leadership support, financial assistance, human trafficking, prevention, disaster relief, church planting, ministry development, training to places like Kenya, India, Haiti, Sweden, Honduras, Malawi, and beyond. And so what is the give your greatest gift? I think when everyone came in, we gave you the little envelope and the card. And you can take that out too right now. Um, that envelope and the card, what is your give your greatest gift? It's an opportunity for your family to express your love for Jesus and his church by giving over and above our regular tithes and offerings for our December offering. And it's a way to show that Jesus Christ is the birthday boy. And that's how it all started. That Jesus Christ is the birthday boy and put Christ first. Now, why should I give? Like most nonprofits and churches, um, we really depend on our December offering. It can be up to 30% of our ministry and missions budget comes in in December, so it determines everything we do this next year. And it's so crucial. And, and I wanna say that we've been doing this now for almost 20 years. And this one is the most crucial. Well, there are really two that really, in my mind, are equal. The first one we did in 2001, because in 2001, at the end of August, after eight years in rented facilities, we were finally able, because of the generosity and sacrifice of so many in our church, some of you guys, to build these buildings. And so we built this building, and then we went in at the end of August 2001 into our new buildings, and two weeks later, 9-11 happened. That next weekend, 2,000 new people came to our church who had never come to our church because they were looking for spiritual answers. They were looking to the Lord because of that 
tragedy and terrible act. They were looking for answers from God. And the amazing thing was, if we hadn't gone into these buildings with the sacrifice of so many, if we were still in rented facilities, we'd have had to turn those 2,000 away. We wouldn't have had room for them. And they would have never come back. But because we had room, God's timing is always perfect. They stayed, and so many came to Christ, started growing in Christ. But the interesting thing was, that December, because we'd moved in to these new facilities and our expenses and all the things that we were trying to do to reach the world and keep this going had quadrupled and we thought, what are we gonna do, you know? These new people didn't give anything because they hadn't learned to give. It was okay. They were just learning. They didn't give anything. So we brought something that Chris had brought to our family where he said, Jesus Christ is gonna get the greatest gift at Christmas and we're gonna give over and above our regular tithes and we're gonna show our kids the check and we're gonna make sure our family knows that it's about Jesus. And so then we brought it to you guys in December of 2001, our first Give Your Greatest Gift to Christ offering. And God provided a miracle through all of our generosity and giving to him and it just changed the church. It was amazing. So many new people started giving, so many people started catching the spirit of giving and their lives were changed forever. And now we come to 2020. You know what happened during this pandemic? Our church grew by like a million through our online ministry. So many people, because of the pandemic, so many people are going, what is happening? We need God. And so many people, new people started coming in through our online ministry. And it's been amazing, and 6,000 of them have come to Christ It's been so, um, more ministry than we've ever done. And yet, all the new people don't know how to give. And because we haven't even been able to meet, do you know we didn't meet for five months this year? We weren't able to meet for five months, not have church in this building and in our buildings for five months. At North Point, it was about six months we weren't able to meet. And because of that, you know, our giving has gone way down. But somehow, because we've cut expenses, we've been able to do the same ministry and missions and give millions to missions and make such a difference. And I'm so grateful. It's just God. But I can tell you that this offering is just as crucial as that first because if we don't all give something sacrificially, then it's gonna affect January, February. And what we can do, and we'll have to make cuts in all those things that are so important in our area and around the world to reach people for Jesus. And so it's just really important. It's really important for the church this year. I unashamedly say that, but it's more important for you. It's more important for all of us to give. And so Chris and I have been praying and we gave yesterday and to give something way above our tithes and offerings, our regular tithes and offerings. And We don't want to rest on last year's gift. We don't want to rest. We want to do what God tells us to do today. And it's always a little scary. We come together, we say the number, and we pick the highest one. And and God was showing us both, you know, what he wanted us to give. And it was scary, but it's joyful. The fear doesn't last long at all. It's It's just all joy. And I just really challenge each one of you to give. We can't all give the same amount, but we can all give. But if you're going through a tough time, if you've lost your job, and um, you know the church is helping you out and we're doing benevolence for so many. Sit this one out, it's okay, it's okay, sit this one out. But if you can give, maybe $10 is a sacrifice over and above your regular tithes, maybe $100 and for a few of you, you'd have to give six figures for it to make a dent. And some of you are going, man, I wish I was them. Don't, because too much is given, much is required. And so, All that matters is give what God tells you to give. Not what I tell you to give, give what God tells you to give, but give. How much should I give? We can't all give the same amount, but we can all sacrifice. And some of you have never learned to tithe, to give God the first place, and it will change everything in your life. When you learn to do that, step out in faith, like Katerina and Shane, and do that today. Commit to tithing. That'll change everything. And it's time. So how do you give? Well, we'll move into our offering right now and you give. You can go 
online right now with your smartphone, or you can just do it through texting GiveWC, one word, to 77977. GiveWC, one word, to 77977. Or you can give online, and that's wc.org slash give. Or you can just go to the website and click Give Your Greatest Gift. Or you can do cash or check and just put it in this envelope, and we're gonna have our ushers at the end of the aisles, and you can put it in the basket as you walk out. If you can't give it today, then bring it up here tomorrow, or mail it in, or, or give online tomorrow. But there are a lot of different ways to give. You can give stocks, and you give stocks directly to the church, and it's not taxed, and you can call our accountant, our administrative team, led by Pastor Randy Reeves, and do that. Some of you have been blessed in the stock market this year, and and God says, put me first for your heart's sake. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Did you know your heart follows your giving? Whatever you give to, you begin to love. You give to Jesus, you love him more. Your heart will always follow where your money is. And so let's give right now. Everybody take out your smartphone and give at the campuses. All you guys at home, give. And then if you want, give through this. And that'll be great too, but let's give to the Lord and let's thank the Lord for all that he's given us. Dear Lord, we come before you and we just thank you for your love for us. We thank you that there's so much power in a seed and we just pray right now for every heart, every life, that you'd help us give what you want us to give for your glory over and above our regular tithes and offerings. And then Lord, help us see how you're gonna come through. Lord, I thank you that it's your promise that if we put you first, then you'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings on us we can't contain. Blessings money can't buy, and you'll also provide for our financial needs. And, and I thank you, and I pray that you would do that, Lord, and I know that you will. And then, Lord, I just pray for those who've never learned to tithe. Lord, I just feel for them because they've trusted you with their eternal salvation, but they can't trust you with, your fi- with their finances. And, Lord, that's miserable. And I pray that you would just help them, Lord, break free from that today for your glory. Do multiply these gifts in our church beyond measure for your glory. And Lord, I thank you that even though one day these buildings are gonna crumble to dust, these buildings aren't eternal, but what we're doing here, what we're doing here with your glory and with your power ensures there'll be millions alive in heaven one day for all eternity, and we thank you for that. Lord, help us to plant seeds of faith to plant seeds of love and hope that makes such a difference, Lord. Thank you that you gave us your greatest gift, your son, Jesus Christ. And we're gonna celebrate like crazy this Christmas your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, let's give to the Lord, Woodland Church, our once-a-year December giving offering, and, um, and just thank him for all that he's given us. And let's stand and let's sing to the Lord and let's praise him because he is Emmanuel, God with us. And I'm telling you, we're gonna have an amazing Christmas at Woodland Church. Um, next weekend, Pastor Lee Strobel is gonna be preaching the message. It's gonna be the case for the virgin birth. And I'll be here to talk to you about Christmas, more about Christmas. I mean, we got some amazing services. It's called the Light of Christmas this year. And there's gonna be so many people who need light to shatter the darkness. And so pray, invite friends. It's gonna be amazing. Go to the Festival of Lights and enjoy that, but bring friends. That's the whole purpose. And, and I also wanna say, let's pray for the people hurting in our church. I just talked this morning to Michael and Cheryl Knight and their son, Andrew, young man, went to be with the Lord last night. He'd been going through so much with seizures and they were working on something that would have really made a difference, it seemed like, and for some reason. You know, God had other plans and we don't understand it, but please pray for them and losing their boy and there's so many going through pain and hurt and difficulties, but God is always there. He's always there and the church family's always there. That's why we need each other during these times. And his light shatters the darkness because he is Emmanuel, God with us. He'll walk with you through everything you go through. It's not some God out there and the cosmos somewhere that set it all up but doesn't care. No, he is with us. And as Christ followers, he is in us. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is alive in us. And this time on earth is just a testing time to prepare us for all eternity. Let's sing to him.
Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.